You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. We're gone right now. Okay. Hey, everybody. This is Chuck Marone back. Uh, Strong Towns podcast live at CNU. We are doing the next gen, uh, the next gen event. <laughs> Crazy crowd here. Um, I've got with me, I asked Grayson Johnson to host this with me. Grayson, thank you. Hello. Back on the podcast again. <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite guest <laughs> because then I can talk like a Minnesotan. <laughs> um, why don't you explain what you just did? That put me in hysterics. Oh, okay. So uh, Chuck is hosting the Late Show, uh, Late Night with Chuck Marone. Friday night, which is like the <laughs> most pretentious thing I've ever been asked to do. He was asked to do it though, so that's all part of it. <laughs> uh, and he humbly accepted, and approached me a while ago to see if I could create a little intro video for him. And apparently, his favorite intro video is the classic Late Night with Conan O'Brien. You guys, Conan fans, see, when I was in when I was in college, I started college in 1991, and it was I think 92 when Johnny Carson retired, and Jay, Jay Leno took over the Tonight Show, and then Conan got the Late Show, uh, and that was always my. I mean, I grew up with that. That was my favorite every single night because it wasn't cool to watch the Tonight Show when you're in college. That's too early. You've got to watch the later show. <laughs> so you took the song. The, the one that you liked, yes. And uh, <laughs> the original is, of course, filled with footage of New York or L.A. or wherever it is that it's based. Yeah. And uh, Chuck, we all know, is not a huge big city person. No. So uh, we reformatted it with uh, some, some Brainerd hotspots. Um, I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Brainerd conversation, but you had Mills Fleet Farm in there. Yeah. You had the Taco John's. The one and only. In there. Uh, you had the old and blighted block with me standing out in front of it. That was the most hilarious shot ever. Yeah, so, maybe we should put that as a video podcast so people can actually see it later. So I'm not <laughs> promising you that the late show will be A, funny or B, entertaining, except for the opening video will be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and you're going to be a guest on the late show. Yeah, I guess so. Yep, along with Joe Minicosi. We're going to be doing... Um, new CNU taglines, and we've got a dating game we're doing. So if you're a single guy, we already have a wonderful female contestant. One, we need, we need three single guys. I've already got one lined up. Uh, so we need two more. If you are a single guy interested in having a drink with a very attractive, intelligent, new urbanist young woman, uh, give me your name and we'll, uh, we'll hook you up in the dating game. And if you're lucky enough, You'll be one. You'll be the one selected, right? Uh, <laughs> Zing. Uh, do you have to be single? I, I, you know, I promised the female contestant that you would be, so, so that I have deniability. At least let me tell me you're single, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Take off your wedding ring. Can I tell a funny story about taking off your wedding ring? This is how much of, we're all kind of geeky new urbanists here, right? So I was in New Orleans at some conference. I think it was an APA conference. And they had a, I got there a day early, and I really wanted to see parts of New Orleans. And when I got to the hotel, they had the guy selling the timeshare up front, right? You guys have all seen when they, when you, they got these timeshare guys. And the little sign said, a free uh, bayou tour if you go do this timeshare. And I went and talked to the guy and he said, yeah, you know, they'll take you out and they'll do this. It's a great tour. And you just got to go see uh, this. Um, it was one of these like estates that had been turned into a timeshare. And it had like the servants quarters and it was just a, like a gorgeously laid out thing. And I wanted to see it. I wanted to see the architecture. I wanted to see the rooms. I wanted to check the whole thing out. And he said, well, I'm sorry. You know, is, where's your wife? Is your wife here? Because obviously I had a wedding ring on. And he said, you have to have your wife with, because they put you through the high-pressure sales, and they want you to sign, and you can't sign if you're married without your spouse. I'm not one who lies. Like, it, I felt really guilty about this. But I went upstairs, and I took my ring off, and I went back down, 
And there was someone else there, and I said, I'd love to sign up. And uh, so I went out and I did the tour. And this is how like, bad of a liar I am. We're, in, we're like three-fourths of the way through the tour. You know, you give you your own private tour because they're trying to sell this to you, right? Go up the stairs, and there's a painting on the wall. And here's me. I said, gosh, do you know who would love that painting? My, my mother-in-law would love that painting. Yeah. And, and she looks at me, and she's like, would you follow me, please? They brought me back downstairs, brought me into a back room, and these two women yelled at me for like five minutes. You told us you weren't married, and you just went on and on, and I felt like this tall. They threw me out onto the street. They didn't even give me a ride back to the hotel. So I'm sitting out like three miles from the hotel, like sitting on this street in New Orleans, uh, feeling like a total loser. Walk back to the hotel, but then I still got the Bayou tour. So... My <laughs> So this is maybe my confession. Don't ever take your ring off and lie that you're not married. Even if you're just trying to get a free Bayou tour, uh, it's not worth it. Um, Grayson, I wanted you on the podcast. You're like, what are we going to talk about? And I said, I don't have anything to talk about. But I do want to ask you, this is your first CNU, right? Second. This is your second CNU. What one were you at before? Salt Lake. Were you there last? Oh, oh gosh. No, she said, I introduced myself to you last year I totally and did. you don't remember and now I still don't remember I know I know he doesn't even remember that he yeah, doesn't remember I'm so sorry that's okay um, that's what happens when you're a rock no that's not what happens when you're a rock maybe it is it's also what happens when you you know run around to all these cities how are you liking Buffalo I like it yeah it's really nice this is close to home for you yeah how did you get here I drove I See? drove across the border for the first time I don't drive as we all know she doesn't. Um, so I'm boring my parents' car, yep. and I'm here, and I just feel like I'm stressing out a lot about this whole car situation. Where is I your messed car up right crossing now? the border. Where is your car right now? It's parked somewhere. Can I get a picture of you in your car? Like with your car? <laughs> yeah. Like okay, because I, I just want to prove that you have one. Well, it's not mine. It's not mine. It's oh, it's my your parents. parents. Yeah, I'm boring it. Okay. Um, let's get Della over here. Della Rucker. Hey. You're going to take the mic from Grayson. I can't do that. Like- no, no. She's just going to hand it to you. It's got a long cord. I kept seeing Jim go like, roop, over the, over the side there. And I was like, dude, I want to do that when I grow up. Yep. No, no. You don't want to do what Jim just did. Uh, Della from Ohio. Welcome to the Strong Towns podcast. Thanks, hon. How's it um, going? Is this, have you been to CNU before? I have not been so to CNU before. So this is your first before. CNU experience. Yep. You, you came down last night and were there at the beginning of the pub crawl, and then mm-hmm. I lost you. I don't know where you went. Uh, did, you, did you manage to hang with at all? Yeah, yeah. They did. It was a good group. Okay. That was a mob and a half of people. Yeah, it was a mob and a half. A lot of fun. So, yeah, awesome. Yeah. What, uh, what are you, what are you uh, most interested in around here? Like, what CNU, have you... Uh, do you have any of the sessions circled besides the one at the end of the day tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, so the the late <laughs> the late night one. No, I've, I'm um, you know, I I come to this not from a design world, but from an economic development and uh, public engagement world. So I had an opportunity to come, and I wanted to sort of learn a little bit about kind of what was going on in this space, and and really to to be honest, to sort of grapple with some of my own confusions and, and discomforts yeah. with, with, um, with the whole, the whole, with this whole piece of the universe. So I'm expecting, and I'm unfortunately only here for today, so I will miss the late show, um, to my great Oh, no, concern. missing the late show is not what I meant. I actually meant the session at the end of the actual day on Friday. Oh, there's no, like a you day? you all can skip the late show. It's going to be No, you need to go to the late show, apparently, because embarrassing Chuck is a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, so, so I'm really interested in kind of learning and, and, and listening and, and thinking, and I've got a long ride back on the Megabus tomorrow if it doesn't blow up again. Um, and uh, the, the one that was coming up here from Cincinnati a couple of days ago apparently caught fire. That's encouraging. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm going to be thinking a lot about uh, what makes sense and, and how this might or might not integrate with some of the other issues that I'm dealing with. Yeah, yeah. Um, the conversation going on in central Ohio right now, you know, I, I've been out there twice with you. Mm-hmm. I know that there's a really kind of... I'll say it, a, a weird tax system 
and also a lot of uh, change happening right now in central Ohio. How is the economics conversation kind of impacting where you're at? Because Ohio is like the national battleground state. It's the state that I was there during the presidential election last time, and it was disgusting how like you guys are treated by national parties. Oh, yeah. But you've got this really kind of evolving on the ground conversation around the economy of cities and building solid places. How is how do you see that changing there? Well, you know, and the interesting thing has been that I work, you know, I work in Ohio, but I work all over the country. And um, the Ohio tax situation does end up, Ohio just, just in terms of, of organization around taxation issues is a little different from most other states, either east or west or south of there. And it, it has a big impact, particularly on the role of a city within a region. And it has a big impact on, on trying to build uh, an intelligent regional conversation. So that's something that you know we see all over the country. So in, in one form or another, the question of how does the city relate to the rest of the region and how does the rest of the region relate to the city, and if I'm a suburb, how do I keep myself viable, and, and all of those issues kind of plays out all over. Um, the interesting thing in Ohio is that the, the work has been around how do we build regionalism in a, in a situation where regionalism has never been really functional. So. It's getting there. I think it's going to be really interesting over the next couple of years to, to see how that evolves. It's going to be baby steps. Yeah, yeah. Um, the project that, that you know, you're, you're thinking of particularly, we intentionally took it back from a grand design to a very brass tacks, okay, what are the things we can do on the ground kind of situation. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the critical first step. All right. We were expecting like six people, and we have a room with, what would you say, Jim? 35, 40? Does anybody, does anybody have a question or something they want to talk about? Because literally, I, when I do a podcast, I start with like a long list of questions and things to discuss, uh, or like I have my own kind of like layout. I don't have anything. So I don't want to stand up here and just go on and on. Somebody's got a question or something they want to talk about. Go ahead. And if you could... Just come up and grab the mic. Of course, you have food, right? Um, and give your name and, and you know what you want to chat about. Uh, my name is David Wilson. I'm a newcomer here. Excellent. At Welcome. And so therefore, I'd like you to give us a little bit of an orientation for people such as myself as to what you're all about, because I feel like I'm crashing a party. Yeah. And I don't quite know, you know what's all this about. So maybe you could help people like me you, to uh, orient. Are you asking about... CNU? Are you asking about next gen? Or are you asking about strong towns? Uh, in that order. All three. Okay. Um, let you, I'm going to bring Jim. Jim Cummins, our executive director. He's the guy like lurking around with cameras and things. You you function best when you just ignore him in these situations. <laughs> Why don't you give the answer on what's CNU? Because I you've been here a long time. I've been here more longer than I probably really want to acknowledge because it probably gives some indication to how young I was when I started, which is which is too young probably to be hanging out with this crowd as I turned out to, as I turned to find out. Uh, but uh, CNU uh, has morphed over the over the years um, from trying to figure out how to take this huge uh, inertia of suburban development and create, take the mechanisms of financing, the mechanisms of construction and design, and create urbanism out of it. And so uh, did a really good job of that, relearning how we, how we made our cities. Um, we're in a new era now, though, because all those things that we built, uh, we built this imp implementation mechanism around to figure out how to build urbanism. Buffalo back, right? Which has everything that a city needs and has, as Joe Minicosi would say, all this unlocked potential, financial potential. We're, we're in a building that only recently was put back into, into purpose. And this, this whole city is full of, of, of those opportunities. Uh, NextGen is about, uh, well, 
I actually was at the first Next Gen event. Uh, you I, were the first chair of Next Gen, right? Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't quite the first chair. Well, I was for the first formal chair. We, we kind of flitted around for a while saying, well, you know what? We're just going to hang out and, ha and drink beer. And after a few years, we realized, you know, actually, we'd like to get something done after we drink some beer. So um, that's kind of when we decided we should get organized. And so I, I was the first chair for uh, a year and some change and ran a couple of the Next Gen events. So uh, know what it's like to be in, in Nate Hood's uh, seat. Um, but Next Gen was really always seemed to be the front porch, right? This is an incredible group of thinkers. Um, the founders of this organization of CNU are incredible folks, and they're very approachable, but it doesn't look like they're approachable, right? Because you, you read them in books, you see them in lectures, and they're, they're up here on a pedestal. And that's the great thing about being a Congress, is that uh, it's a little bit more like uh, everyone getting together on the floor. There's 435 representatives, um, and they're all equal. And that's actually really what happens here. So if you see Andreas, you see Stephanos, you see Liz and Liz, uh, you see Peter Calthor, Go up, talk to them. Uh, that is what makes this 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 uh, movement work. Is that we constantly have to look for new ideas. We constantly have to reinvent ourselves, and we stop doing that. We become just like every other organization out there that tinkers around in urbanism um, and uh, city planning. So the next gen was always trying to make sure that we kept that that newcomers. All of you, if this is your first seeing you or your first next gen activities. Keep coming, keep asking questions. That's what you're here to do. That's what makes this movement continue to go. What is Strong Towns? What is Strong Towns? Yeah, I want you to, I want you to do this one because you're, Jim, okay, Jim and I met through CNU. Uh, I was like doing this blog and that like morphed into an organization. And Jim comes to me two years ago and said, you need an executive director. And I'm like, tell me something I don't know, right? Uh, <laughs> And he said, well, I want to be your executive director. And I said, well, I don't have any money to hire an executive director. He said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of all that. So last year, he started without pay uh, at, at last year's CNU. And now you've been on a year. So I want to hear you explain what Strong Towns is at this point. <laughs> now that I know better. Um, <laughs> Strong Towns is looking at the financial resiliency of our cities and towns. We look at transportation look at infrastructure, we look at land use and economic development and how our city's balance sheets uh, aren't quite working out. Our, our liabilities outweigh our assets. And uh, we have so much capacity in our places, whether they're small towns or big cities. Buffalo is a great big city which has so much that was given down to us by our, our predecessors um, that we have either left behind and not utilized or we have sort of let go and atrophy. And uh, being a strong town is actually trying to figure out a way to reverse that trend and put our uh, balance sheet and the quality of our places back together on, on the same playing field. Let, let me summarize all that with one analogy. I, I, for me, and I'm a latecomer to CNU, I feel like CNU is a pot full of like good ideas baking and simmering. And I feel like next gen is like the ladle stirring the pot, right? A gumbo, Chuck? Yeah, a gumbo, thank you. <laughs> Not a fan. Uh, and I feel like Strong Towns is like one of the ingredients that's been tossed in to that mix. So if, that, if that's like a fair analogy of where we're at, I, I think that's... Indeed it is. All right. Anybody else want to ask a question or add to this conversation? Please, come on up. Just give us your name and, you know, are you, are you a single man? I am, yes. Are you, are you really? Yes. No, no, no strong attachments? Are you going to be here Friday I'm night? I'm single, yes. You are going to be a Friday night. I will, yes. Okay. Uh, Jim would like to speak with you. Because <laughs> we, so we got something fun for you. Oh no, boy. please, your name and... Chuck, my name is Dan. Uh, I'm from the city of Buffalo. Oh, I'm, wonderful. I'm Thanks a, for hosting us. Oh, welcome. Welcome. Uh, yeah. all, this is my first CNU conference. Uh, I'm a civil engineering undergrad student. Uh, I go to the University of Notre Dame. Sorry to hear that. Well, that's where my question is. Yeah, go for on. it. And uh, I know you have a civil engineering background. I do. Um, I wanted to know a little bit about, from your experiences, your civil engineering background, um, if you found there to be some creative tension between uh, perhaps the formal, the more traditional civil engineering education mm -hmm. and now what you're doing with Strong Towns, um, if you found it to be more of an asset or a liability in what you're doing now and where you see that background playing into the urbanism movement. Yeah, I, I love, that's a great question. Um, thank you so much. Uh, civil engineering, Civil engineering for me opened up so many doors because when you can walk in and say, you know, I'm a civil engineer, I've got a PE behind my name, 
to me, that doesn't mean you're necessarily smarter than other people, but a lot of people perceive it that way. They perceive that you know something. And so what it is, is it's like a key that just opens doors. The other thing about civil engineering that is different than, I think, other degrees, and I went back and got a planning degree. In planning school, we made fun of engineers. In engineering school, we made fun of planners, you know? So there, there is this kind of tension. But the, 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 the engineering degree is so... Uh, it's a little like when I was in boot camp. It's just rigorous in a way that if you commit yourself every morning to doing it, it's, it's, a, mar it's a marathon, not a sprint that you've got to get through. Uh, there's a lot of attrition in it. And so once you get the engineering degree, you've essentially shown that I have the stick-to-itiveness, I have the perseverance to get through a bunch of crap and get and get to the end right because yeah. that's what calculus is that's what statics is that's what thermodynamics is right. you know that's what all this stuff is but it, it 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 shows you have perseverance but it also teaches you how to approach complex problems and think them through there's a ton of tension that i have right now with the engineering profession and i write about it a lot but i have to say I, i'm grateful that you're here and i'm grateful that you're going into engineering because the tension and I don't want to make a blanket statement, but it, it has more of a generational component than it does a professional component. And let me just give you one way to catalyze that. I was in, have you guys seen the conversation with an engineer video we put together like three years ago? It's the two digital bears talking to each other about a street project. Have you ever seen this? I haven't, no. Yeah, you have to check it out. It, it, it actually, I was really upset after a week of working with a bunch of engineers and I sat down and I put this video together about an hour and a half. It's been watched, I think, 240,000 times. It's an eight-minute video talking about a street project. So it's, there's a lot of insight in it that was accidental. But for, for me, uh, I watched that video be shown to a group of engineers late last year. I was at a, I was at a conference speaking. Before I went on, they played that video, and I got to watch, for the first time in my life, the audience reaction. There was two distinct reactions. The younger you were, the more you tended to laugh. Just obnoxious, like laugh, high-five each other, you know, like, hey, did you see that? It was a, there was a lot of that, and it was almost like the recognition of, my gosh, this is like the office, right? It's like a parody of my workspace. The older you got, the crankier the look on your face was. And there is all these people with their arms crossed, like, why am I wasting my time watching this video, you know? That, that, that frustrates me because, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a log jam in thought, I think, in the engineering profession right now. People who have been doing things the same way for 40 years, built up this body of knowledge that now we need to loosen up and kind of throw out in a way and it's really hard for them to turn around and look at what they've done the last 40 years and say, gosh, we kind of screwed a lot of this stuff up. But there's a lot of young people coming in that are seeing the change that needs to happen, want to you know, advance into those positions where they can make some of those changes. And they're the people that make me excited about the profession. So the tension we have is I kind of feel like my, my role is to agitate and push enough on that group that's kind of calcified so that they either you know get out of the way and make way for younger people or they begrudgingly change and loosen up a little bit so keep doing what you're doing I mean get through make it well thank you for the show and we'll try to get more civil engineers listening to it please let's do yeah we need Thanks. you we need you bad uh, anybody else have something they want to chat about a question Jack, can I ask a question please go for it so when I first got into this whole new urbanism thing, I thought that my goal was to build places that look like downtown Buffalo. Right. Right? And now that I'm here and, you know, walking around, I'm, my hotel is right by, by the water, so I do, like, a, you know, a few blocks. Now I'm wondering, if you build this place, how do you make sure that there's something going on on the ground level? Yeah. Because I, I don't know, and maybe actually, Dan, you might know something about this, but... It feels like there's not much going on on the ground floor. There's not a lot of people on these streets. And I feel like the, the city has been done really well. I think it's a beautiful city. Yeah. I, you know, normally I'm traveling and I'm pointing out things that are annoying to me. Yeah. This just, place is gorgeous. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's gorgeous. There's just not, no activity. Where, yeah, where right. are the people? Um, okay. 
and, and by way of answering that question, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do a little bit of self-deprecation here. When, when you're an engineer, when I got out of engineering school, I believed that every problem in the world could be solved through the stuff I had learned in the engineering profession. And I know this isn't what you're suggesting, but let me just say that. So, you know, if we got the traffic flow just right, if we got the, you know, the development just right, if we got the invert of the pipe at the right slope, everything would work out perfectly, right? That was like the, the thing. And I started to realize that, you know, no, there's way more to it. And I went back to planning school as a way to kind of get out in front of the bad engineering by doing better planning. And when I got out of planning school, I had this thought and belief that if we just got the right zoning, if we just had the right code, that we could like fix everything and make everything great. And of course, that's not true also, right? When I came here to CNU, there's a certain, um, and Jim, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a certain strain of the new urbanist conversation that is all about architecture and buildings and hating modernism. And, you know, if we just get the interface, if we just get the, the architecture right, everything will work out. And we're in a city where the architecture is generally right and it's not working out. So when you say, you know, I, I thought if we just built and designed the place, if we just assembled the ingredients in the right way, it, it would work out. It's not. What do we do about that? Like, what, what do we do? And I've been asking myself that question too. And really where I found the greatest inspiration and the best answers to that comes in the work that Mike Lydon is doing with the tactical urbanism and what Jason Roberts and Andrew Howard are doing with the better block. And that is to say, <clears throat> we need to activate these spaces. We need to activate them incrementally where we already have the huge buildings, uh, you know, what Tommy Pacello and those guys, Kerry Hayes and those guys did in Memphis, where they took this six-story building that was totally not activated, that they couldn't get activated, and said, you know what? We can't get six stories worth of stuff here. Let's just get the first story. Let's just get the bottom working, and let's just do it for six weeks to show we can. Uh, that, to me, is like our challenge in the next generation, is taking, we're not gonna be building new stuff. We're gonna be taking what we have, activating it and then incrementally improving it so that it has life and vitality and as Steve Mozan would say it becomes a lovable place worth caring for. So I look at Buffalo and when you line up the list of challenges great buildings and you know good urban design is not one of them but it is activating the places and there's a you know there's a complex math and a complex stuff that goes with it. I think those guys Leiden uh, Jason Roberts, the Better Block, the Tactical Urbanism, I think that they have a, a disproportionate part of the answer to the problems we face over the next generation. And is this a common experience? Oh, you. Go ahead. We. Can. So, hi, I'm Joy Keebler. I'm a landscape architect here in Buffalo, and I couldn't pass up the plug. So tomorrow night before the Late Show. Yeah, yeah. Out front here of the hotel, we are doing a tactical urbanism intervention. We're actually starting to build around noontime, and we'll have lots of uh, trees and shrubs, um, an urban oasis, but the final resultant will be a bocce court and tournament right outside the front door here, um, and then an urban dance party, I guess if you're going to call it that. Uh, we'll have tango dancing at 8 and salsa dancing at 9 and uh, the BPO here earlier in the evening and uh, a live band after 10. So it should be a fantastic experiment of enlivening Washington Street, which as you approach the opposite side of the street is a big blank wall. So we'll have some projection art on the other wall and uh, we should see Washington Street change very dynamically tomorrow night. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and really... You know, the, the, ask the civil engineering question. You know, you, you go through engineering school and you start working in an engineering company or for, you know, a DOT or whatever, and you, you get comfortable very quickly with process and you get comfortable very quickly with, you know, a, a kind of organized and orderly approach. You go to become an architect, you become a planner, you, you, you get comfortable with the kind of, silo segmented orderliness of those professions and the way they're conducted. 
what we really need more than anything else in our cities, especially in a place here like Buffalo, is a little bit of chaos, a little bit of disorderliness, a little bit of experimentation, a little bit of trying new things for a week or two, uh, or just an evening, has some salsa dancing on the street. You'll never get that in you know, the, the manual of uniform traffic control devices. So don't look there for it. You know, our answers are in, in these kind of things. So that's gonna be a really fun experiment tomorrow. Yeah, go ahead, Della. I'm really delighted to hear that. Um, I, that that to me, that to me sounds. You've done. You, you're proposing two things there that I think are very critical. One is what Mike Leiden and the tactical urbanism people are talking about, which is try things, try them on a small scale, try things that are flexible, see what happens. Don't invest a whole lot, but but figure out whether it's going to work or not on a physical scale. That's awesome. Absolutely awesome. The other thing that I'm going to challenge this group on, and again, I, I have worked with planners, I've worked with engineers, I'm not one myself. I mean, I'm a planner, but I'm not a physical planner. Um, we, have, we still have this really strong tendency to assume if we build it, they will come. And there's, there's a definite strain of that, and that's been part of my frankly, long-term ambivalence toward the new urbanism, the Congress for the New Urbanism, has been this kind of, of, of concern that it was only addressing one part of the equation. I just came from an economic development conference. I yelled at them about comparable things, about you know thinking you could do one thing and it'll solve all the problems. Um, the piece that we forget, and that I'm really delighted, I won't be here, but I'm really delighted to hear that you guys are doing, is actual activity to get people into that space. It's not necessarily enough to put out stuff and think that they're just going to use it, but by doing you know, activities there, even if it's something that maybe not everybody wants to participate, like I don't know that I would cha-cha in public. Um, I am reasonably certain I wouldn't, but I would watch other people do that, so that's cool. Um, but I guess one of the things that I would challenge folks is that as you're moving in this direction within this organization and the various conversations in CNU is figure out how to deeply engage with the people of your communities. Not just the design people, not just the people who already are like, you know, yay, city, funky, blah, 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 but the suburban moms. And I'm a suburban mom. I, I will admit that. Do I have to, like, like is that a, like, like, you know, am I in AA now or what? Um, but but the, the community is not just the people who are immediately going to resonate to what you're talking about. You've got to reach to the broad community. And that doesn't just mean that you tell them how awesome urbanism is, but it means that you really start to participate in a dialogue and you really start listening with them about how to do that. And there's ways to do that. A lot of times we're not very good at it. Let me, um, if somebody else has a question, why don't you make your way up? I want to chat about build it and they will come just real briefly though. Um, because it's, it's an important mental shift that we're now making as a country Build it and they will come is part of a system that has more money and affluence and resources uh, than they have ideas, right? And for many, many decades, we were able to build it and uh, sometimes it would come, sometimes a little bit would come, sometimes a little bit would happen, but then we would go and build the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. I'm, I'm reading a book right now on complexity theory and there's a... There's, a, there's a, a, a paragraph in there that I've read 20 times and I still don't think I completely grasp all of it. But it basically says something to the effect that natural systems only adapt and innovate when they're starved of resources. We have not been starved of resources for decades. And the paragraph goes on to explain what happens to complex systems when they're not starved of resources is they become very orderly, okay? There's a spectrum of completely disorderly to completely orderly. And what happens when systems are not starved of resources is they become completely orderly. And what we need in our cities, because they are complex places and because they do evolve and grow and adapt with us over time, that's what's been missing the last six years. We need a little bit more chaos. And to get that, we need a little bit fewer resources. 
we're entering into a time where we're not going to be able to do build it and they will come. We're not going to have, we don't have the money. We're broke. We can't do that anymore. We've got to take what we have and make better use of it. We, uh, you know, we, we speak in Minnesota, we have a strong Native American population. And we speak very often about the greatness of these populations, how they used to, with very limited resources, do amazing things. And there's like a legend, and I don't know if it's true, but it's a beautiful thing to say regardless of how, you know, a, a Native American uh, could take a buffalo and use every single ligament, every single bone, every single piece of meat. There was like nothing that went to waste because they were so starved of resources, they figured out how to use everything. We need to get that mentality back. And that's really what's going to make our cities healthier. And it's, it's what we're going to be forced to do because of just sheer economics of it. Go ahead. You had a question. Yes, hi. I'm, I'm Michael Garrigan. I'm, I'm a planning director in the village of Plainfield. It's one of the fastest growing exurbs outside Chicago. Oh, okay. Um, and I just wanted, first I wanted to thank you for the great work that Strong Towns is doing and how thank much you. I admire your work. And thank it, you so it's much. It's incredible. But, the question I have is how one of the biggest challenges I have as a planning director is is, is that great um, basically challenge between the, the traffic engineer and the planner. Too often, from my perspective, the traffic engineer is in many ways viewed as almost like a doctor. Basically, I call it the tyranny of the specialist. Yeah. And they're viewed by the public officials as almost a doctor. Right. And they're in, in really in, in many cases a doctor or a, a, a quote you know a proto deity in a right. sense. Right. Yeah. I, I when. I can't tell you how many meetings I was in as a planner where I would say, I need $2,500 to do this like amazing transformative thing. And it'd be like, can you do it for 1800 you know, 1700 And then the engineer would come in and say, I need $45,000 to do a traffic study on this little area over here. And I'm like, well, just, you know. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's part of what we do. So it's, it's a complete disproportion. I get you. So, so often the, the planner's voice is not even being heard not when it comes to, when right. you talk about streets yeah. uh, cre creating value. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, so in any case, it's, it's the, the traffic industry has a complete uh, uh, monopoly of the only voice as regards to transportation. Mm -hmm. And how do you basically uh, address that with, with, their, with regards to public officials? Because at the end of the day, the public officials will be looking for the traffic engineer. In, in many cases, in my village, even the police department, I think in many ways, have, they have a greater voice right. than the planner. Right. And um, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that I have. So right. any so, advice on how to... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and it's this is a this is a systematic challenge. Uh, you know, we have good planners, you know, good people out there trying to do things. And you show up to the meeting, and the public works director shows up and says, "My snowplow can't fit through there." The fire chief shows up and says, "This is the size of my truck. Too bad. You know, you can't do it." And the engineer shows up and says, "Well, we have 18,000 cars a day, and so we need you know extra lanes, and you can't you can't do it." Um, how do you get around that? And there is no, let me, let me just say this, there is no strategy at a meeting that you can do that will get you around that. So by the, by the time you get to the meeting and the decision, th there's literally no magic line, there's no incantation you can recite, there's no you know, diagram you can hand out that will, that will, that will help you win the day over that. Because what you're fighting is 60 years of accumulated dogma on what the most important things about cities are. What we really have to do as planners is start early and start small. Uh, part of what we are trying to do at Strong Towns is make this conversation not esoteric, but very like reachable and approachable for people. Uh, so I always tell people, if there's anything that we write or we put out, Take it and copy it and give it to your public officials. Just start like in a really low level, getting them acclimated to the notion that it, it, it is not about traffic speed. It's not about traffic volume. It's about productivity. It's about place. It's about building great streets. And f meet with them. Talk to your public officials. Talk to your plan commission members. Find out what their push buttons are. And don't try to attack them. Try to you know, give them alternate things to think about. I always say that what we are doing in the new urbanism, what we're doing at Strong Towns, we're coming in and we're questioning the religion of the way our cities are operated. If I come in and question your religion, 
by, you know, standing up in church, saying your deity is wrong and your beliefs are stupid. And, you know, I'm not suggesting that's what you're doing. But as planners, I often see this. We'll come in and we'll have, like, the answer at the 11th hour in the wrong place at the wrong time. And what you really need to do is be a little bit more subtle. Build. We're... The wind is at our backs. It's not at the traffic engineer's back, right? Because the traffic engineer is literally bankrupting the city. And you can go to Detroit and see how much power the, you know, the traffic engineer has in downtown Detroit, right? There's no congestion because there's no cars. And they're not part of the debate there. They're not part of the conversation. We are active in Detroit. The new urbanism is active in downtown Detroit, right? because it's part of the answer to that. So they, by their own, they're clearing the way for us. What we have to do today is start building up the base of understanding so that when our moment comes, we're not standing there with a bunch of people who have the wrong religion, not, not getting any other type of belief system. Let me give you two things we're doing to kind of support that in the next year. Um, we have this mobility report we've been working on for a long time. If you've been following us for a while, we've started calling it the mythical mobility report because it's been part of our agenda for like the last 18 months. Uh, Jim has finally like said, here's some time for you to finish this. We have been working on it a lot, but it's gone through a lot of iterations. And we're trying to make it even easier for, for people in your position to take that document distribute it to your council members, distribute it to your influencers, uh, all the people who are going to be part of the debate, and make it easy for them to get through and have a real paradigm-shifting view of things. Uh, that is due out in September. <laughs> I'm looking at Jim. All right, everybody here is September, right? I'll, I'll hand out Chuck's email. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... So, and, and with that, we want to have uh, a good website with, with lots of data, videos, information, uh, you know, supporting documentation. One of, the, one of my favorite things in the mobility report is uh, our interview questions for engineer candidates. So if you're going to hire an engineering firm as a consultant, if you're going to hire a new engineer, here's like eight questions to ask them. Here's the wrong answer, and here's the right answer, right? So here's the answer you're likely to get from your traditional engineer. Here's the right answer that you want. And what I'm trying to do subtly is freak the hell out of the engineering firms that are going in to do these projects not knowing what answer they got to give, right? I want to change the way they operate. So that's coming out this year. I also have this book that I've been working on called Money Hall. I said it would be out this month. It is done. Uh, this morning I met with a book publisher and I'm not ready to announce anything yet, but it looks like Money Hall might be delayed till next year solely because of the fact that we can get a huge distribution out of it that we're not going to get self-publishing. And I can't make a formal announcement yet, but it really looks strongly like that's the way it's going. Money Hall, the people I've handed it out to to read have said it's a guidebook for building better cities. And really, that's the way it starts and that's the way it ends. We need to do this, 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 and this. It's like a recipe book for building a strong town. And so when we get that out, that is also going to be, to me, a cheap, easy tool for people to, to fundamentally look at things differently. We approach it through baseball. So the reason the publisher is really interested in is like, wow, this is accessible for everybody. That's the idea is we can't speak in planner jargon and planner speak. We've got to make all this accessible to everyone. Getting out and doing salsa dancing is accessible to everyone. That's why it's such a powerful thing. So do some salsa dancing too. Chuck, I, I want to, that's like perfect segue to a question I want to ask real quick about storytelling. Um, and I think that is part of understanding really at Strong Towns as I got involved in sort of really what was happening. Why, why was our message going somewhere? Why, why, would it, why were people calling Chuck and saying, come speak to us? It's because we are making that, 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 the gap between the technical understanding and our history and our, and our, our human behavior. And we always talk about the unintended consequences. We didn't, it, we didn't go out and say, well, we're trying to make our roads safer. Uh, we're going we're gonna to basically get all the people off of it. Like, 
that's essentially what happened, but we didn't start off with that objective. Right. And trying to unwind that so that there are no victims and there are no perpetrators. Right. This is, this is not, and I want to, I want to ask yeah, Grayson that's because. A, that's a huge, that's a, what you just said is a huge part because it's easy for us to look and say, that person's an idiot, that person's an idiot, that person's done something just stupid and destructive. But those people all need to vote for your new thing. Right. So we actually have to have a language that says, look, we're all guilty to an extent. We're all now absolved, but we all have to do something different, right? right? What is your penance? And so I want to ask Grayson because Grayson has come in and I want to talk a little bit about Memphis because I think that was a huge conversation for us to start. And that meant we had a project with, with Joe Minicosi and uh, Mike Leiden to go into a community that we've been working with who are familiar with our ideas, but start to look at those, those conversations at the very local neighborhood block by block level. Um, and Grayson did a great job helping us bring out those stories, right? The stories that people, that, the, that, are, that are their own stories, not this sort of huge, this is what we did in you know, developing cities over the last 50 years. It, it, nobody outside this room really has any understanding of that. They, don't, they can't get their hands around it. But um, one of the reasons we got Grayson involved was because she was telling that story of her own place, and that is what other people were flocking to in a little town in New Brunswick. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit more about the storytelling process and what you look for trying to connect these ideas or urbanism to people's places and the things, the history and, and the ideas that they know? You're next, so. so where I live, and I'm sure that this is very similar for a lot of you, uh, most of the people that are kind of running the show um, are good, good people. And they're more concerned with... I mean, I know very few people that are willing to take a risk on their job in order to get things done. So a lot of people are in a position, and you can't blame them for wanting to keep their jobs. <laughs> uh, you lose your job in a place like New Brunswick, what do you do now? Well, yeah. And, right? and like, I think it's not like you have planning jobs everywhere. You can just go get another one. Exactly. And so, you know, they have the right mindset and they know what to do. Um, but there's not a lot of willingness for people to put their necks out. And so um, my approach is to not make very risk averse people more risky. I don't think that's going to be successful. And I would never expect that of anybody. I wouldn't ask my parents to do that. I don't have kids, but I can imagine that completely changes the way you make your decisions. Um, what I would rather do is try and make the situation less risky for them. Um, and, and the way to do that, I think, is just what Jim was saying, is getting general people on board. Um, I guess the, the easiest way I can approach that is um, I have uh, five kids in my family and my parents. We've always had very, very active dinner table conversations, but I'm very politically different from my dad. And so uh, it's helped me come up with ways to communicate that, you know, if my dad wouldn't like it, then chances are I'm turning off half of the population. Um, and that's, that's the general approach I take. And my grandma is probably my number one subscriber. She opens every, every video. Uh, she calls me every week, I got your ding ding. Because as soon as, as, soon as uh, I send out a video, it, like it's an email, it says ding ding, there's another video up. And so she calls me, I got your ding ding. Um, and, uh, and she loves it. And so I try to mold a story around that where if, uh, if she can understand it and if my dad can understand it without being turned off by that, um, then hopefully I'm getting across to the neighbors. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a difficult thing to try and uh, gauge because I, I feel like my viewership has, has increased more even across the states than it has in the particular community that I'm in, which is another interesting conversation. You know, Chuck and I often talk about, what is it, you can't be a saint in your hometown you, or something? You can, you can never be a prophet in your own land. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so that's a fascinating experience as well, um, to see the value in storytelling when it might not actually be that effective in your, your closest circle. Uh, because they love me when I'm talking about all the good things about the town and when I'm putting it on the map and that sort of thing. But as soon as I'm talking about anything negative, it's not, it's not something that gets shared because it's a place you, that's downtrodden. You're airing the family's dirty laundry. Well, and, and you know what? They and don't need yeah. another kick. They don't need another kick. Like, you don't need to kick them when they're down. Right. And, and so, and I get that. I really get that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, I have to take footage of where I'm at. So if I'm trying to show... Right something that's it's not tough working. to have the, the 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 taco john's old and blighted block has become a, a, a thing with strong towns that shows up all the time 
that got me a lot of bad, a lot of negative feedback from locals when I showed that what we had done decreased our tax base significantly instead of, you know, what to me would a natural reaction would be is like, oh, wow, that was really dumb. Let's not do that again. It was, gosh, you are a jerk, Chuck, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's personal. A, that it's personal. It becomes yeah. very personal. You probably know the person that approved right. that. Actually, right? it was my second cousin uh, was uh, the economic development person that got the project done. And another second cousin actually owns and runs the Taco John's. Yeah. So, so I, yeah, family reunions are awkward things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're good people. and They're, they're very good people, yeah. I, I, think, I think you really just have to kind of get, in order to be a good storyteller, and, you know, I'm still very much learning this, you just have to love people. You have to love your audience, and you have to love the people you're talking about, even if they're producing negative consequences. Right. And I think the other thing, and if you haven't seen Grace in Sight, it's called Another Place for Me, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, one of the other things that you do really, really well that I try to do and have consciously, but I think it comes naturally for you, is you also give, here's what, here, here's what we should do different or here's what we could do different. You always have, you know, here's, here's, the, here's the issue that I see and here's the solution that I envision. And to me, it, that's kind of the spoonful of sugar a little bit, you know, that deals with the other side. And, and, and sometimes especially in the early days, a lot of my writing was, I see this problem, this problem, this problem, and I don't know how to fix it, but I know these things aren't going to work. And that's yeah. where I think communicating that is really helpful. And I think that's also, we've come to this from different places. I mean, from what I gather, you have been interested in this because of what you saw was cities falling off a cliff. You know, you right. saw this is the future and yeah. it's awful yeah. and we need to do something about it. Whereas my, my introduction to urbanism was from an environmental standpoint, um, you know, very, very concerned about climate change. And so for me, I've always seen urbanism in general as that spoonful of sugar because I grew up in the suburbs and, you know, everything I'm talking about is, is an improvement on that. Right. So I think that's, you know, that's what attracted to me to me to urbanism. And this is what pushed you, you know, it's it push pushed, versus right. pull. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, I'm glad we met here. <laughs> um, Skylar, I know you. Skylar Yost, longtime Strong Town supporter, brought us to Pennsylvania, uh, and um, we had a great time there. Go ahead. I know you had something you wanted to chat about. So um, we've heard a bit about how uh, the different steps um, and tactics that can be used to, to help cities become strong towns. Um, what are your rockstar towns. Now, the ones that uh -huh. have not fallen yeah. off the cliff and have been doing it right for a long time, they've been playing Money Hall, and the ones that are fixing old mistakes. And will Strong Town's headquarters be coming to Gettysburg? Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Skylar, we, do, we did a... Okay, when we did Another Place for Chuck, the, the podcast... <laughs> Oh, gosh, yes. I've gotten a ton of responses. And one of them that was really, really good was Gettysburg. Skylar sent me, and, and, I'm, and instantly I thought, yes, that is a place I could live. I loved it. It's beautiful. Uh, it's a nice little town. It, it's close to, you, you met all my criteria in one place. Yeah. Uh, perfect. I, I, my wife might be interested in that one, too. So really? we'll get, I'll, I'll, t I'll <laughs> chat with you. I think that would be great. The, the most frequent question that I get, and I have to admit that early on it was an antagonistic question, and it's evolved into a, a, a loving, you know, I'm really interested in this question, and I have a hard time making that transition. Because mm -hmm. early on, when I was first doing Strong Towns and I would talk in the area where I lived, I had this one antagonist that would follow me everywhere. She was the head of the, the regional economic development group, and she would always stand up with the first question. She'd say, all right, smarty pants, if you're so damn smart, where are all the strong towns? You know, how come you know what to do and nobody else does? What makes you the brilliant mind here? And, the, the re, you know, it was antagonistic. And I was like, there are none. Well, if there are none, then why would we listen to you, right? I, I'm still of the mindset that there are no, today in, in the United States, because we have had 60 years with no scarcity of resources, there really aren't any strong towns. Now, there are strong places, and there are parts of cities that have really figured this out and I think done a great job. 
I, I love York. I mean, I, I think York has the bones of, of a really good, strong town and a lot of cool investments that have happened within the community that have made it kind of trend in that direction. I love Memphis and I love a lot of the things that they're doing. Memphis is, on paper, is not a strong town. Way too, I mean, we talk about Detroit as having too much land area and not enough people. Memphis has like two-thirds the people and three times the land area. It's, it, it's, it's like this insane proportion. Memphis is not a strong town, but there are parts of Memphis that are real strong foundations of building a future strong town. Uh, I really like what Martin County, Florida has done uh, with, and I know you know Edward Erfurt, mm -hmm. Kevin Freeman and his team, where they're going out and taking these CRA areas and, and working in them to do value-added projects and, and specifically grow the tax base. And the way they fund their internal budget is by increasing the property values. So it's like a self-fulfilling kind of thing. To me, if I had to say, like, where's a strong town? North America, I haven't met it yet. We go to Europe, and I know you've been spent a lot of time in Switzerland. We could go around there and like point out all the places uh, that, you know, from the metrics that we would use are really strong places. But that's obvious because they've been there hundreds, sometimes thousands of years. They've kind of proven their resiliency, and they haven't changed them all that much. So I hope we can... I hope we can get there, and I'm optimistic, but I, I, I can't stand here and name one yet today. Okay. <laughs> Is that Thank fair? You. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if I'm ready yet. <laughs> Is this oh. on or no? Yeah, yeah. No, oh, you're wow. You're, you won't hear yourself, but uh -huh. you're being recorded, so. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. So, thank you. Um, I just want to say thank you for this presentation so far. I'm yeah. new to CNU, but I guess that's the point, right? Yeah, yeah, no, ways, totally. Or, Welcome. You Welcome. know, um, and I just really was inspired by everything you two were saying about a lot of things, but um, I'm easily inspired, I think. But, um, <laughs> you know, just kind of in terms of, um, I have a question, but also just kind of some ideas I was thinking of. Like when you were talking about obstacles to people um, wanting to make changes because of risk aversion and all of that. I, I really like your approach to, you know, instead of, you know, coming in and like, you used a lot of religious comparisons. That was fascinating. You know, you don't stand up and be disrespectful. Oh, don't to get people. me started, right, Jim? Ah, you don't stand up and be disrespectful <laughs> to, you know, what's been going on because there's wisdom there. And as you were saying, like, you know, even though we, I've heard a lot of negative talk about traffic engineers, I was sitting over there thinking, you know, why don't we invite the top traffic engineer here? Because to me, um, I've, I've gotten really into asset-based community development, the ABC Institute at Northwestern, um, and John McKnight's research, and um, just this past year, and it's really a special way to look at community building to me because it focuses all about the assets of the individuals and associations of individuals and the institutions, but focusing most on, on the gifts that people have and the strengths. And, um, you know, I feel like that's just such a wonderful starting point because, you know, you get to see you know, like, like for in Buffalo, for example, we're all here. And, um, I know next gen kind of is the people that has the newer ideas or I'm still learning cause I just found out about next gen Tuesday. So, yeah, yeah. um, but I guess it was really, um, something I thought about because, um, Ellen Dunham, Jones, she said up there, she was like, you know, talking about how as a Congress, we have many branches and, um, you know, we want to, Sorry, I get a little nervous, and I kind of I'm trying to stay focused. I'm from the South, so we just talk, you know. So, you know, she, <laughs> I'm a Florida oh, cracker. Oh, we but, know. Yeah, but I love. Right. Oh wow, Minnesota's my favorite state, though, don't you really? know? All 87 counties. So, I'm I'm a little bit county obsessed, is my thing. So that's yeah. why I found it so special to to learn about. Um, this group and this organization, because you learn about communities wherever you are, you know. And so, I guess what I was getting at before was. Um, Ellen Dunham Jones was talking about how, you know, for CNU 25, they're still trying to figure out a topic and a, um, and a location. And to me, it was just fascinating to think, wow, we do have such a, a big part. And kind of as a new member of an organization, it's, it's special to feel like, wow, we do want to hear your voices and not, we don't just say that, but we want to hear it, you know? And so to me, um, as just observing the conference, it's just been one day, but I, I was, I've been here since Monday doing some of the tours. I, I keep meeting people out on the streets of Buffalo, people yeah. that live in the community and finding, you know, because a big part of ABCD is, as the urban planner, I'm not the expert on your community. You are. And it seems like that's a lot about what we're talking totally. about here. And 
Yeah, and I guess um, the question I had then was, um, you know, have because oh, it was still in the ve development. I kind of got the <laughs> you know, microphone prematurely, maybe, but um, I don't know. I guess is that something that we've thought about doing in CNU or Next Gen or within Strong Towns? Because I'm not as familiar with it for upcoming events is, you know, bringing in the community beyond just the, because like here at CNU, we have so many professionals and John McKnight talks so much in a goofy way about professionalism and saying, you know, it's not always the professionals that know how to do it. It's, as you're saying, it's when we have this lack of resources because, you know, we did this workshop that was all about, it was called Unleashing Abundance. And, you know, just on my way over here, I was in the garden in front of the Erie Public Library learning so much from each individual I talked to. And I know, me personally, I never shut up. So that's how I learned from people is I, I'm not well, shy. Let me ask you, let me ask yeah. you this. Where do you want the CNU in 2015? Um, cause I'm going to put, I'll I put like, in, see, honestly, my, my first yeah, thought yeah. was Minneapolis cause I love the twin cities, but oh, I don't know if fun. it's already been there. So yeah, I don't know yeah. enough of the history. We haven't met, never been to Minneapolis, right? No, I could brag about it all day long. Kristen, <laughs> where do you want city. it? Okay. 2015, we're in Dallas, 2016. Where do you, I've got to put out a, a nod for Charlotte, Charlotte, because it's my home state. It's growing. We've had. I think we've been around, and I don't think people really realize that North Carolina is where it is. We've got mountains, we've got coasts, we've got Piedmont, but the Piedmont is the core of where our cities are, and we have potential in the southern cities. You know, we have our Strodes, we have our red state stuff, but I think we're seeing more tactical urbanism, we're seeing more opportunities for old stock, and our cities didn't build, built out after... Um, after the World War II, it built into the suburban experiment. Most of our cities are de facto suburbs. I really would like to see, you know, seeing you come in and talk about how, what can we do to repair what is considered city, top of mind city, just to be, you know, okay. a development. I'm, so. I'm going to put out the pitch right now. I, I want to see 2016 in Detroit. I, I think we need to go to Detroit. I think we it, need to it be is. there. It is, is it not? Yeah. I think we need to. I, I think it is. I, it's happening. Yeah, it's Dallas and Did then Did they Detroit. announce that? Yeah, not, not quite. The 25th doesn't have a location All right. All right. Um, I wanted to have Jim talk about, uh, and he, yeah, go ahead. You can, I wanted to have Jim talk about how you get people involved in, in, a, in a thing like this, how you, how you use it to leverage kind of locals uh, as part of the conversation. Now, do you, do you guys have a, no question and you okay so we'll do we'll do one more because we're a little over time and I want to respect your time too uh, so go ahead and then we'll take one more question all right well I'll have to I'll reformulate the, the question on the fly and see how I'll answer it but I think getting people involved locally is building those relationships with people at a number of different levels and I'll just talk about Minneapolis st. Paul and my neighborhood as examples uh, because it is our own it is our own experience that shapes these things. We have to, we can't go out to other people and say, hey, can you bring your neighbors? If you've never been out and brought your own neighbors. If you, if you don't understand from an empathetic level what it takes to do that, it's hard for you to ask that of somebody else. It's, it's difficult to sort of give them the, the, both the technical and sort of emotional intelligence to make that happen. So what do I mean by that? So over the last three or four years, people like Nate Hood, Matt Steele, um, other folks who've been involved in Strong Towns um, have worked on a, uh, a number of different forums. Uh, one's Urban MSP, another one's called Streets MM, to uh, bring to the forefront a different way of thinking, to actually legitimize that there is a group of people out there who want to see things different in the city, whether uh, it's the things we talk about here at CNU or it's talking about uh, controlling our property uh, uh, tax issues, uh, whether it's not building large stadiums that we can't pay for, all these different things so that there isn't just a no, 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 no voice out there. There has to be a yes voice. There has to be somebody who's out there pushing for these issues in the greater discussion. And it's either within your city or as a region or as both. 
And so that's a very important discussion. If, if those discussions aren't happening, Urban Cincy, I'm hoping they're going to stop by. We, we, we saw a few folks from Urban yeah, Cincy. Yeah. Hopefully they're going to stop by for a podcast this afternoon. They have done the very same thing in Cincinnati. They have changed the conversation, and they have engaged in their own personal relationships and their own personal networks um, to make different things happen in their city, but also to build that relationship before there's a project. And I think that's really one of the key issues that we have. There's a road project coming. Well, we're going to go out and put a bike lane in. Well, then it's an adversarial relationship. You have to actually go to the business association, talk to them about how to build their business and how to make the place outside their business great before you get into a situation where you're at odds with each other. That is where you begin to sort of build that ability to sort of pull things together. Talk about, just real quickly, the National Gathering. The National Gathering. September 12th to the 14th in Minneapolis, in my neighborhood uh, of we're actually Kingfield. Doing, we're actually embedding it in the neighborhood with the idea that we're going to work on the streets, in the neighborhood, with the people There's there. There's one storefront left in my neighborhood. We've seen an incredible transformation in the last four or five years. Um, and there's one storefront left, and it happens to be owned by a gentleman who uh, is a longtime CNU guy. And I'm hopefully meeting with him next week, and we're going to talk about uh, hopefully setting up shop in that storefront and looking at both the things that have happened and the good things, new businesses, uh, new streetscape, but also things that we have yet to do. And the, the streets nearby in my neighborhood um, and getting across the freeway in my neighborhood. My neighbor goes right up against a huge freeway that I just redid a couple years ago. It's like an entire block wide. How do we overcome uh, the issues of knitting our city's neighborhoods together when you have huge uh, separation points like that? So we're going to be on the ground. We're going to be uh, at a, a auditorium, which was a community center. It used to be old middle school. It was built back in the 20s. A gorgeous building. Um, everybody left the city in the 60s. There was no school children. They sold it to this community organization. And so we're going to be literally walking back and forth, um, going to neighborhood restaurants, being at neighborhood places. That's how we're keeping the costs down as well. And so hopefully we'll have a registration open here in the next week. Matthias, are you serious? Because you're a fellow Minnesotan. I don't want to cut you short. All right. Yeah, yeah. He is. <laughs> that is Minnesota the definition of Minnesota Falls. night. Yes. Right. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody. And who knows the sign-off for Strong Towns, right? Go ahead. Uh, thanks for joining, everybody. Uh, and keep doing what you can to build Strong Towns. There you go. Thank you, guys. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. The United Nations Earth Summit. Agenda 21. Yeah.